And Andy, again, is taking the day off today. In his stead is our friend Barry Strands, who's been in the uh, business, the construction business, for a couple of years. A few years now, yes. Yeah. yeah. Teacher. In fact, let's talk a little bit later about uh, that, that whole other career of yours. Sure. And, uh, and, uh, the, the people who are your students and all that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but we have callers. We have textures. If you have any kind of a home improvement question, you want to talk to Barry or at least send him a text, same number. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Okay, let's get to the phones right away. EJ is on the phone with a question. EJ, what is your question? Oh, hey, it's a great day to paint. <laughs> I've got a big job. Uh, I've got a post-war 1960s Rambler that has been lived in with lots of wall paint in all the rooms. And unfortunately, that beautiful original oak-stained trim boards has nice, even though you tr- tape and paint has nice paint on it. How do I take it off? I've tried denatured alcohol. Uh, I'm just having a heck of a time. And so, you know, it's the very edge of the sure. board that yep. comes up to the wall. Yep. Well, there's two things that, that I've done in that similar situation. Number one, I mask the paint on the wall surface. So all I can actually make contact with is the trim board. And then I use a straight-edge, flat razor, single-edge razor, and then try to scrape the surface off. But then I use goof-off. Yeah, goof-off. I was yep. just going to think of Which is a latex paint you know, emulsifier, basically. We'll modify that, and then you rub it right off. Now, the problem, of course, is if you have multiple layers, it takes a while. That's why I scrape first. And then, obviously, the risk is that you might hit the outside surface coating of what would be varnish on that 1960s trim. But putting varnish back on that surface is actually pretty straightforward. Not difficult to do. All right. Yeah, so a combination of chemical and scraping. Very good. Do, does uh, Goof Off, doesn't that come with an oil uh, remover too, oil finish? Uh, well, the, I, I don't know. I mean, I know, the, I know the most recent versions, there's probably three formulations they've used over the last 15 years, and I'm not certain which the current version is. No. There's there's something for There's a gum and adhesive remover that I've used that works great. And uh, On carpet, you get stuff like that. You can solve it that way. But, you know, Goof Off's been the go-to for a long time yeah. for latex. Agreed. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Again, if you have a text, you want to do that same number. Um, Glenn, let's see. Oh, it's Ken. Ken's calling in this morning with a question for you. Go ahead, Ken. Thank morning, you. Morning, Ken. Good morning. Say, I bought a, a lake home in northern Minnesota that's thirty years old, and it did not have air conditioning, and it's got hot water heat. So I want to add air conditioning, and my question is, what would be the most economical way? I mean, not necessarily economical way. I don't want a window one. But am I better off going with, like, something through the roof or the crawl space? Or would a mini split, do they remove the humidity like air conditioning does? Yeah, I mean, they will. I mean, I think a mini split's your, your best option. Uh, I think that's going to be the most cost-effective and, and be the way that you're going to see the best results for the price point. I don't really think there's an attic-mounted unit that's – you can go to a flex duct and do a high-velocity downdraft. But I don't think that's going to be the most economical option at all. Mini split through the wall surface, that's going to be your best choice. Okay. Yep. Thanks, Ken, for the call. Ken leaves that line open if you want to chat with Barry. 651-989-9226. Here's a text came in. uh, Have any ideas to make a pocket door that is unattached from the track to work better without opening up the wall to reattach? Pocket door that's unattached from the track. Well, the, inside that pocket, there are a couple of slides that connect to the door. And the question, of course, is what brand or what type and how old is the pocket? And to open up the whole pocket, you can replace the actual track. If it's a single-mounted roller 
on a J, I call it a J track. I would open it up and replace it because it's such a pain. They're terrible. Uh, today we're using double wheeled rollers. So there's four wheels on each roller mount and there's two roller mounts on each door. These are fully encapsulated in what I would call a U-track. And this, the U-track catches both of these roller wheels. And the only time you ever have problems with those is there's something wrong with the hardware on the top of the door. And ideally, people who put pocket doors in leave a piece of trim that comes down, referred to as the door stop, that can be removed on one side and the door can be taken off and readjusted without having to cut through any nails or address those pieces. But most carpenters in the real world, we pin nail all of those pieces of trim on and think, well, let's hope there won't be a problem. If there is, we'll deal with that problem down the road and it'll be someone else's issue, probably not ours. So the more efficient way to do that for the sake of the install is to simply pin all the stops in place. But removing them is not that difficult. I use a, a one-and-a-half-inch, basically a paint scraper, oh, yeah. a, a stiff blade, and get between the stop and the jam and pop was loose. Once you get one started, you pull pressure and you just keep working it off. Do it carefully. If it's painted especially, you don't want to have to repaint everything. But then you'll have a couple of nail holes to fill when you're done. So you can slide the door to the opening and do that or check the hardware at the top. And, again, it all depends on what the hardware stuff is. I need a little bit more information to be useful. I don't know exactly what's best there. All right. Sounds good to me. 651. <laughs> yeah, but you were thinking about something completely different. If you look at your weather reports. I was, I was thinking like the, like the carpenter who installed the, the door to begin with. Well, the pocket doors, I mean, the craziest thing about those is, is as a carpenter, it took me a long time just to get in the habit of going, oh, pocket door. I can't use the same length nail on casing or on base. Oh, yes. Because I would end up pinning the door. The door, yeah. You know, and like I uh, ran a nail right into there and then pull the door and like, okay, I just scratched the door. Like, how come this door won't you? It worked five minutes ago just fine. Do they now still install uh, the base. In construction use pocket doors? In oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. They okay. But in a higher-end home, they don't use a two-by-four frame system. They do a, the will build custom doors and just buy a track. So we, we do flat two-by-sixes, and we actually use engineered lumber that doesn't deflect or bow or wave and create a pocket out of two-by-sixes of engineered lumber. That's the best way to do a pocket door. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yep. How do you, Texter says, uh, prevent outside portion of sump pump from freezing in the winter? Yeah, I don't know. I, I just had another question on that recently, and it's like you get outside that, the thermal envelope of the building, and you're going to subject that thing to... Uh, cold temperatures. If it's done correctly with a drop at the exterior, there should be water flow to the outside. But you need to make sure you do everything possible to keep that pipe heated right at the point of ejection from the exterior wall of the house. And most of the time, that's not insulated well enough. And so we end up with thermal migration through the wall that helps to freeze that pipe before it should. And the shorter the pipe extension, the less likely you're going to have freezing in the pipe. So there's a couple of things that can be done, but there's no great solution to that. If that mm. sump pump is running, which normally it doesn't run that much in the wintertime, right. but if you're in a lake location, high water table, you're still fighting that issue of it running and then it thawing. So again, people will heat tape that to keep it thawed. But nobody wants to heat tape the, the sump pump ejector line. You might have to, but that's one way to handle it. It's just not, it's not ideal that you need to. All right, Barry, let's, uh, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Marie is calling from New Brighton, I believe. Marie, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I want to know if they do restoration of a house that's been pretty much destroyed. Uh, does Lindus do restoration of a house? Well, they certainly come out and give you a price. Yeah, absolutely. Call them up. They'll come out and give you a free estimate. Yeah, 1-800-LEAF-GUARD. So, you know, if it's 
the restoration is still in the remodeling family. And t- I haven't talked with Andy about new construction options. I don't think they're doing any of those yet, but they're certainly doing remodels and full house remodels. Yeah. 1-800-LEAVE-GUARD-MURRAY. Call Linda's Construction uh, this coming week in the new year. Uh, let's see who else has been waiting. I think Ken is uh, in Chanhassen calling in. Ken, you're on with Barry. Uh, Barry, I've got a vinyl flooring on my basement floor. It was installed in, you know, a sheet type thing. And, sure. Uh, it appears to have some dark spots, and I've since taken some up, and it looks like it wasn't actual water, but maybe some moisture that caused some yep. dark spots. And Menards had a fantastic sale on name brand plank tile flooring, and, you know, it start, looks like real wood. It's yeah. dark in color. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, should I either put that over the top of this or take it all off and put some type of moisture preventer on the floor? Oh. Well, the polyurethane finish on the existing vinyl is going to be a moisture preventer that's going to be as effective as anything I think that you're going to be putting on top of the concrete. So in my mind, I'd go over the top of that vinyl, and that's not my normal favorite. But in this application, I think you're still going to be better off doing that. Okay. Good luck with that, Ken. Barry, we need to take a quick break. Okay. We'll, we'll do that and be right back. Call Barry or send a text if that's easier, 651-989-9226. Good morning. Welcome back to our Home Improvement Show, this extended version. This is uh, an extended version with Barry Strands. Andy Lindis is off today, and I said, uh, yeah, let's let's do another show. Come on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And Barry was kind enough to uh, to volunteer and come in here. So we I love doing that. this, man. It's fun. It's fun. And if I can be helpful at all, that's awesome. Does this too. kind of keep you on your toes in a way when the, our listeners ask you questions? Or, you know, well, it's different because you recognize that you're going – uh, there's no cheat sheets here. No, that's true. Yeah, and so you're going, what do I remember? How do I see that? What was the picture? And, you get and no advance notice. Right, and you're questions. trying to give you know, accurate information and, and, and as updated as possible. So and the good news is if you've done stuff, it's like I like older houses because I've, you know, I've got one. But I also teach code, so it's like I'm fairly aware of what's going on. Absolutely. Current stuff, so. All right. Uh, you want to call or talk, uh, text to Barry, same number, 651-989-9226. Uh, we go to Karen, who's calling from Minneapolis, I believe. Karen, good morning. What can we do for you? Good morning. Um, I recently moved back to my childhood home, and the original woodworking is, is from the early 1920s and has a really rough texture to it, like it's the the varnish has bubbled. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to need to be stripped off. And a chemical stripper is going to be your best option. And Formby's made this wonderful wood refinishing material. And I don't remember the actual chemical uh, product that was in that. Uh, I, I, so I'm trying to scratch my brain here just a little bit and trying to think about what that was. But basically, it dissolves the finish. And you can uh, go ahead and just remove it that way and then refinish that surface. But you got to get that those layers of varnish off the surface. That's what you're looking at, an alligator finishing on that. Yeah. So it just checks after over time. All right, very good. Good luck with that, Karen. Okay. Here's another labor of love. Yeah. Uh, Mike is calling from Minneapolis. Uh, Mike, you're on CCO with Barry. Yeah, good morning. Um, so I'm planning on remodeling uh, two bathrooms that are upstairs. And um, the, the sheetrock will probably end up coming off on the outside wall. It's probably approximately 25 feet long for both bathrooms. Yeah. Um, it's two-by-six construction with fiberglass insulation, the normal stuff for Minnesota here. But um, would it be beneficial for that section to take the insulation out and spray foam uh, that one 
section of the wall on the second story. Okay, um, Mike, I'm curious as to why you're, you know, you've already got the right answer. And I'm curious as why you're asking the question, because yes, absolutely, you're right. I, in a bathroom application, spray foam is great. And something's telling you already that's the right thing to do. And I just think that's fascinating. I'm listening to you. I'm going, you're wondering, but you know, you already know. This is the right <laughs> thing to do here. Pull the fiberglass out. And on bathroom walls particularly because of the high concentration of humidity, a closed-celled polyurethane spray foam basically precludes that wall from getting any water into the exterior wall sheathing. It's just the greatest system in the world for that application. I think you're absolutely right on to do that. Yep. Good, good job, Mike. Good job. I'm going to grab another call, Barry, then we'll uh, pick up on some text messages. Let's uh, talk to Carl, who's on the road somewhere. Carl, how's the driving? Um, it's not too bad over here in Wisconsin. Minnesota was uh, horrendous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I spent I spent three hours on 694. Ooh, ouch. And, wow. Uh, ended up turning around and going the wrong way until we could get across the freeway to get out of there. So. I'm glad you're anyway, okay. Mike, yeah, yeah, it was fine. My my question is, I uh, put an addition, a 2020 addition, onto a house that is suspended, meaning it's it's elevated. I didn't put a foundation; I just put footings in. Yeah. Uh, and I have 12 inches of insulation on the uh, under the floor. Uh, p- uh, put down normal floor decking, uh, and then a, uh, in, a, a what do I call it? That black uh, liner on top of that, and then I laid a Brazilian cherry hardwood on it. Okay. Yep. yep. Now I've got two two problems. They may be related, may not be. Every summer my floor buckles. I nailed this stuff down, and so I can see adding humidity to it. I should have put it down in the summertime, but I didn't. So its expansion causes it to buckle, and it gets worse every year. And it doesn't happen in the house, the original house, which has hardwood, but only with the exposed part. Yep. And the uh, second thing is the door will not close in the summertime, probably for the same reason. I wonder if I have frost heating or something that causes the how the floor to shift up, you know, at one point or another that actually changes it. Maybe they're related, maybe they're not. I don't know. So what are my options? I have regular, uh, I have just exposed plywood uh, on the bottom. Um, sure. I have no, mm. you know, because it's, you know, originally we had plastic under there, but it built up on the on the ground but it had built up humidity yeah so we pulled that plastic out and it's just bare ground and and exposed plywood what's the width of your wood flooring it's uh if i remember right it was like three three and a half or four and a half i can't remember exactly yeah (laughs) Uh, number one i would get a moisture meter in there for both seasons so winter time i'm going to check the wood for moisture content in the summertime i'm going to check the wood for water content i think that the swelling and the buckling is totally related to water. And that floor got laid too tight with that floor being dry enough that it's picking up water and, and you're getting the swell in the summertime. And that's just, I don't know what, you, you have to air condition that space, take the moisture out. And if it's an open screen porch, you're going to have a tough time doing that. If it's not an open screen porch, then you're going to need to dehumidify that space to maintain the floor or you pull the floor up and relay it. And then the, we just use a little bit more gapping in that. Make sure that the floor's got a little higher moisture concentration when it's installed. And if you're at 12 or 14%, you're probably great for that application. And my guess is that floor was put down at 6 or 7% moisture content, and it's picking up water vapor in the summertime, and it's swelling. And as it does that, it has no place to go, so it buckles. That's fairly common. 
The issue with the door is another question, and I'm not certain I know the, the answer to that. But normally we get frost heat in winter conditions. Those things will move and buckle. But if something's pinching in the summertime, we've got typically some kind of settling taking place, which means we had some frost heave over the winter season, and now it's moving back, and we have a pinch. I need to get laser on that to be able to see what was going on, to be able to be useful in that application. Uh, the worst case scenario is you reset the door and you identify what was causing the problem. But if it's a name brand manufacturer, whoever installed that door ought to come back and be able to take a look at it and give you some help and say, hey, I put it in. I'll take some responsibility here, at least help you out and try to determine what's taking place. Sometimes the door can be adjusted depending on the slider or if it's a swinger. But if the door might be, if it's pinching, you might be able to simply handle the roller hardware on the bottom and solve it that way. I, I, I just need more information to be, able to, use, to be useful to you there. But you are getting some kind of movement for sure. The question is, is it frost-related? And it's possible. I just don't know for sure. It might be swelling simply from the moisture as well. All right. Thank you, Carl. Rosemarie's on the line uh, calling from Minneapolis for Barry. Go ahead, Rosemarie there we um have a single story house and on an outside wall in the basement there's a large black pipe and we've never had any water damage in the house and it's like 60 70 years old and i noticed recently that out of the pipe there was a liquid like kind of a brownish orange going on to the top of a cabinet which is next to it do you have any idea what that can be and how serious is it well, I'm still not sure what the pipe is. If we're looking at 60 or 70 years, it's a, is it a black pipe? It seems like a cast iron pipe, and obviously you're getting some kind of a rust stain is what I presume. But I just need to see – I need to know more information, Rose, to be able to be useful. Otherwise, I'm just kind of throwing a dart at a wall, and I'm afraid I'll injure somebody standing too close. So I, I just need to know more about what that pipe looks like. I apologize, but I just – I don't want to be guessing. Yeah. All right, I'll tell you what, uh, let's take a break here and uh, alert our listeners. We have a lot of text messages we're going to pick up on when we come back. uh, And uh, we'll put uh, Barry back to work with maybe a lightning round. So stay tuned. Thanks. Good morning. Welcome back to this extended version of our home improvement show. We're having fun, aren't we? Uh, You bet we always do, though. Always do. Yeah. yeah. Barry Strands is in (laughs) for Andy Lindis today, welcoming your phone calls and text messages and we had a bunch of phone calls, and, and I don't want to forget the textures either. Yeah, let's we get, get a bunch textures. of those as well. 651-989-9226 for either the call or the text. Uh, let's say, good icy morning. <laughs> <laughs> what would be an alternative to skylights, uh, windows? Skylights, skylights, windows, what the texture says. Cost, installation, whatever. But I like what Linda's did to our house with sun tunnels. Sure, sun tunnels. Any type of solar tube sun yeah, tunnel. Those yeah. are great. They're much less expensive than a skylight. They don't have the same condensation problems as a skylight. They put massive amounts of light into a space. Amazing. So basically so. a high reflective metal coating on a tube to a sky surface mounted, a roof mounted uh, hole, if you will, that's a basically yeah. skylight, drops that heat and I'm sorry, that light down into a tube and then hits a diffuser on the ceiling of a particular room. Amazing difference that it makes in a space. It really amplifies right. the Can't, whole Yes, light. and yeah. if you're not careful, you put it in a bedroom, you'll be able to sleep at night because the moonlit <laughs> nights are bright as can be. You know what else so, is fun? Because I think we have one, two, that we have three of them in our home. And during one thing I didn't, I was looking for a light switch one day because yes. it was so bright. But in the uh, thunderstorm if at, night, at night and you have the flashing... Uh, uh, lightning? Yes. It looks like flash bulbs going off. Oh, I believe that. I totally believe <laughs> But that's it's really funny. great for natural light. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Just, yeah. yeah, a real estate agent came to a house and, and like, I wanted to leave. I, I was in someone else's open house and I needed to leave, but I couldn't find the switch for that light in that, in that uh, laundry room. And 
finally called the agent and who had listed the house. And there's no light switch in that. That's a solitude. No, that's, yeah, that, yeah, that's it. <clears throat> so uh, ask, you can ask Linda's construction about uh, their sun tunnel. Amazing. Really good stuff. Yeah, very, very cool. All right, let's see. Uh, good morning. We have added a sunroom to our home. We would like shiplap on the ceiling. Do we have to sheetrock first, do you think? No. No, you can put shiplap on the ceiling. A lot of different wooden products that will fit up there and be fine. Drywall is not required. By the way, drywall is not code anywhere in the house. You can do the entire house, never put drywall in place. Nobody knows that, but it's the truth. Drywall is not code required. It's not. No, you need an equivalent to. So when we do a house to wall, we're like, well, you have to have a drywall barrier between the house and the garage. No, you need a fire resistive barrier. Can be drywall and most cost effectively is drywall, but it's not required to be drywall. There's a so. texter, Barry, that says uh, they have leaf guard gutters, which are great. We've had them on for 20 years, our house. Problems with icicles. Any suggestions or solutions? Well, Andy and I have talked about this. Yeah. You and I have talked about it, yeah. too. We, we have icicles on our uninsulated, unheated, like in the garage. Yep. Other, I don't have icicles on the rest of my home, which has been foamed right. and uh, other insulation. It's, it's, it's important to keep in mind that you get... Icicles are coming from melt on the snow on the roof surface. Yeah. We all know that. The problem, of course, is we assume sometimes that all that snow melt is because of heat loss from the house. But sometimes solar radiation conditions can cause icicles to form having nothing to do with bad insulation or bad ventilation in an attic space. They're totally unrelated. So you have to keep in mind that not every icicle is related to the house's construction. It just it can be an ambient uh, temperature and solar radiation issue that's causing it. And as a result, not ice, all icicles are a problem. They're not all – they, they, they can be dangerous in some senses, but it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the house because you have an icicle. And discerning what the real problem is is always the issue. And you have to go back and look at where the problem is being sourced to be able to solve that in order to get the icicle to no longer show up. And sometimes there's nothing you can do except deal with the fact that there's snow on the roof. That's right. And if you don't get the snow off the roof, you're going to have icicles. And leaf guard gutters have nothing to do with icicles. That, that's absolutely <laughs> true. And any gutter. I mean it's, that's it's, true. It's, yeah. it's like – Gutters, one must say, well, gutters cause ice dams. No, no, no. Uh, a gutters can hold more water presence at the edge of the roof and make an ice dam uh, maybe worse in a sense, but it doesn't cause, it's not the cause of the, of the problem ever. It's just maybe a, a, a contributing factor to an increased volume. Here's kind of a related text, uh, Barry. It says, I've got a, a 16 by 20 room addition with no attic access. It's got a ridge vent, a venting that gets covered with snow. I get an ice buildup on one side that I try to keep clean with a roof rake. Do I have ventilation problems? Also a skylight on each side of the roof. So the question is, could it be ventilation? Yeah, it's a similar thing. It could be ventilation. And whenever you have ventilation at the ridge, the question is, do you have adequate ventilation at the eave? So the overhang beyond the wall of the home needs to have adequate airflow coming through that space to get up to the ridge. Now, snow will allow air to move through it. It just slows it down. So we can actually ventilate through some snow cover. But we get ice buildup, we're screwed. I mean, that's just not going to work. Uh, so keep in mind, you're looking at me it's about contra- that word. I shouldn't have said it's screwed It's a construction term. Yeah, it's a constru- <laughs> yes, it has to do with, with, uh, with machines. With hardware. Yes. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, this, the problem still becomes the same where we have to pay attention to the installation. And it's a pain to go back after the fact and modify because you have to get into that space to do something about it. And adding insulation, I tell people when they're re-roofing, the time to solve any adequate ventilation and insulation problem is in a re-roof. Pull the shingles off, pull the decking off, 
redecking the roof at that stage isn't the end of the world. And no. then spray surf the surface of the drywall or the inside finished material. Spray that. Make sure you're providing adequate air space above it. Then run new OSB on the roof surface and then vent correctly at the ridge. And now you know you've got correct venting Good at stuff. your eave overhang as well. Back to the phones we go. Myrna's calling from uh, Fridley, I believe. Myrna, you on with Barry? Oh, hi, Barry. Uh, I'm planning to remodel my bathroom. Sure. And uh, I want, right now I have like, I think it's over six foot <clears throat> counter. And the sink is way on the one end with just like a half a foot, uh, like six inches. And then there's sure. a little sink and then mm-hmm. I've got all this space. And I was wondering if I can move, I, I'm, want to get a new countertop and sink and I'm and probably new drawers or whatever. I want to move my sink over. I won't be able to, I don't think, center it without major work, but can I move it over a foot or so uh, ex- without changing any of the pipes coming up, you know, into the into the wall? Can I... Sure, Myrna. I understand ex- the question. The question is going to be this. Do, do the pipes come up through the floor? Do they come through the wall? And where do they come up? When you do a new cabinet installation, it's very common that we have a a desire to relocate the sink. So we can get new water supply lines to that fairly easily. The issue is the drain and the ventilation. So as we run those spaces, it can be done, but normally a plumber is involved in modifying that plumbing process so that we can't just do the same hookup. And again, without looking inside the cabinet to see what you have, I can't tell you for sure how easy or, or difficult that process would be, but it's commonly done in bathroom renovations. And it's, we don't, the stuff coming up into the bathroom space is fine. We just modify it once it gets into that space, assuming we have enough pitch to do that. But typically it can be done. It can be done relatively simply. Okay, very good. A uh, texter says this, Hi, we live in a townhome built in 1997, looking to put flooring throughout the entire first level. I also am considering a minor change to the kitchen setup by taking part of a counter out and replacing with different configuration. Other than going with a big box store, is this something uh, you, I'm sure meaning Linda's, uh, could help with? Not sure where to start. Absolutely, sure. Call them up. Yeah. Yep. 1-800-LEAF-GUARD yep. is the number. Come out, they'll look at it, give you a price point, and let you know what you they can do and well, when they can do it. Uh, you're right. and They'll come off. That visit is free. Free, yeah. free, 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 free. Free estimate. Free. That, that is a good deal. Let's see. Here's another kitchen. Oh, this is a kitchen sink. I have dual kitchen sink with disposal. It's currently plumbed with a trap for each sink. Is this correct, or should it just be one trap going to the drain out? Well, there's, if there's a disposal, typically the disposal is mounted right to the base of the sink, and that doesn't get a trap. It runs to the main trap of the other side of the sink, and it runs a straight plumb line right through, down through it. So if you're if a typical plumbing installation with the – with the disposal only has one trap. Now, if that's, I mean, I've seen two trap sinks before, but normally we tie them together and trap it just once because it's way easier to mess with. Right, so, very good. In, in I, my mind, yeah. It, I mean, correct, it's legitimate, it's legal. It's not, a, it's not a code violation, but it's not as simple as a single trap. Uh, I think uh, you've, you've impressed this texter. Wow. I don't even have any house issues, and I'm glued to the radio. <laughs> 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 Barry is smart, articulate, energetic, and inspiring. Also, also, or rather, almost makes me want to do. I assume he means some some other home improvement. Thanks, project. mother. I yeah. appreciate you. Yeah, sending almost that. makes us wants to do something to his house. <laughs> well, be careful. Um, let's see. How do you find? Uh, thanks for the text, by the way. And I, yeah, that's I wonderful. I appreciate I the feedback. 
Uh, how do you follow oh, this? Send is that weird. to my children. So, yeah. my, da- my dad's not a moron. Look, there's a guy who likes him. <laughs> how do you find holes, Texter wants to know, that mice can use to enter the house? <laughs> New block basement, block windows, foam insulation around the tire foundation and upper walls. Oh, my gosh. You know that the size of the mouse's skull is all that has to get through that, the little body... Skeletal We're talking pieces. about a quarter to three eighths inch size holes. It's amazing. Finding those is really the search. You go through every surface location and you look. Somebody's got to do that. Now, you hire an exterminator. They'll do the exact same thing. But normally they know what to look for when mice are already accessing space. So the, uh, the coat of a mouse is going to leave an oil on a surface. If it's rubbing up against something, you can see like a darkened mm. line alongside where the mice have been crawling or running. I was looking at one house that was stucco clad, and the mice were going across um, a window, I should say a ledge, and then coming into the inside corner of the stucco and going vertically up to get onto the roof and then accessing mm. the house through a, a breach at the soffit roof joint location. And this guy tracked the trail by looking at the darkened line on the inside corner. He goes, that's mouse. I'm like, what do you mean that's, that's, that's mouse? That staining on the stucco is from the oil from the coat Never of the mouse. And I mean, either. I was just dumbfounded. So there's a value in getting an expert involved when you can't find those uh, those miniature holes, those tiny little spaces, but you can't overlook anything. And a lot of guys will use a heavy-duty steel wool or they'll use um, like a real fine wire and buy that at a home improvement center. Just coil that up and shove it into the hole. The mice won't gnaw through that. I remember years ago, I can't remember now, had to be at least 10 if not 15, I uh, had a, uh, you were correct, a pest control place yep. come over they went around the entire periphery of my home yep. and they sealed with whatever they use plus if it's a larger you're right they use i believe a copper mesh yep. in copper some mesh. cases mm-hmm. never had one mouse it's then. good well yeah. i think the mice need a place to live too so i always invite <laughs> them into my home every winter time <laughs> and feed them uh, stuff that's little green pellets and then i don't see them after a while i guess they don't like my food source no I asked a Sorry, person. you're laughing. That's all I really well, care no, about. I was thinking about See, my problem is I think I'm funny. No one else does, but I think I'm I think I'm. I was using. thinking about, I know some people want some safer things, but I, do, I don't like vermin of any kind. No, not inside and, your home. And, uh, and I asked my pet, pest control buddy, Mike, I said, what happens now? They eat this stuff. Uh, where do they go? He said, heaven. <laughs> <laughs> we have, yes. All right. We, is it break uh, time again? We uh, need to take a break. I want to alert our listeners. We have more text messages and phone calls uh, to take. Here is our phone number and text number, 651-989-9226. And welcome back to this portion of the extended version of our Home Improvement Show. We'll be back to our normal time in the 9 o'clock hour next Saturday with Andy Lindis. Wonderful. In the meantime, Barry Strands is uh, helping us out today, helping you out. Uh, And again, we've got uh, so many text messages. I don't want to leave the listeners uh, high and dry here. So uh, how about this? Um, well, we talked about this. How do you find holes that mice can use to enter the house? We did that. All right. Uh, and you and I, You and I were talking yes, about oh, that. Yes, off-air off we were talking yes. about that, yeah. Uh, Stories. La- a laser temperature gauge does not show any cold air entering around the foundation. New vinyl siding over-installed when the basement was installed. It is a 100-year-old two-story farmhouse. Uh, I don't know if there's a question there or not. All right, I don't so see whatever a question. Hey, texter, whoever sent that one in, would you just modify that just a little bit and resend it so we know what the question is? Yeah. If they're asking about when you start going to infrared to look for heat loss locations in a foundation, normally that'll tell you a thermal picture, an image of where heat losses are taking place. And so you can plug those spaces and stop airflow, et cetera. 
but I'm not exactly sure what we're after there. So send that another way and we can get to it. Yeah. And we did not mention, so somebody wants to say, can you mention the name of a radon company that you would recommend? We haven't mentioned no. a company. <laughs> there, there's a bunch of them out there. Well, right? the challenge is that the radon licensing came in last year. And so now you've got to be certified by the state, and then there was a— You do. Oh, yeah, yeah. To do radon in, in existing houses, you need a, a mitigator's license, a company license. You need even a, a license to set and to pull the equipment, the tests. So today, this is a much different world for radon installations than it was uh, two years ago. There uh, is a question. What was that, uh, that uh, sealant, that stop leak? Quite oh, AeroSeal. AeroSeal. Mm-hmm. Somebody wants to know, is, is, that, is that costly, any idea? I guess it depends on their Oh, uh, Well, it depends thing. on the – yeah, and right now it's more expensive than I think it will be in a couple of years. As more people begin to use it, the price is going to come down. These are guys are – I don't know what we just paid. I'd be, be real careful about throwing the number out there, but a couple of grand probably uh, to aeroseal surface. And the idea is that it just changes the way the efficiency of the system works. Really a good idea. Yeah. And it can be retrofit in an existing house. As long as you get duct work, you know, you run through the whole thing. Furnace, all the ductwork around it, seals up everything. It's beautiful. I think it's a great idea. It is a great idea. We have, Texture says, an older house with an added-on room. Uh, this was built with a block foundation, dirt floor, no insulation. I would like to insulate the crawl space. Could you tell me what needs to be done? Do we have access to the crawl space? We've got to make sure we have access. Then well, that dirt floor of the crawl space needs to be covered with polyethylene plastic sheeting. Just get something down on that. You never should have a dirt floor in a crawl space that's exposed to wood because of the moisture potential in that space. Over time, it creates enough humidity that the wood picks up that moisture and can rot. Mm. I was a house that was built in the 1920s, and about 15, maybe 20 years ago now, there was a New Year's party at this house, and enough people in that floor, oh. exact same scenario, and the floor joists cracked because they had had weight and then the slow rot over 85 years. So eventually it's a problem. Then once that floor is sealed so that you've got no vapor available to come through the, that surface, then come up the sidewall. And I still think that um, extruded polystyrene, which is a foam, pink and blue, you find them at the big box stores, glued directly onto that concrete surface is your best option. Okay. Another texture says this, uh, Barry, boiler needs to be replaced in a 1938 house. Where do I find someone skilled to do it and what happens to the old boiler? Well, any HVAC company that is tied to existing houses that runs into the old Minneapolis neighborhoods or St. Paul neighborhoods is familiar with boiler technology and installation. So it, it's, it's about going online or going, you know, if you're browsing, just browse HVAC boiler installation and they'll pull the old one out, put a new one in and they'll, just t- they'll remove it. It'll go with them. All right. Uh, what is, well, here's a, a cost uh, thing. What's the cheapest way to insulate a garage ceiling for heating purposes? Well, there's nothing cheaper than fiberglass bat or blanket installations. That's just not very, a very efficient way to do it. So if the drywall is already in place, I would recommend blow it in cellulose or blown in fiberglass. That's your best option for price. Uh, obviously, the high end of the price point for those is spray foam. My favorite, but it's also the most expensive. So my, in my mind, I wouldn't do fiberglass blanket or bath. The rolls, uh, pink is what we see, or yellow maybe. I would blow in at the white fiberglass or cellulose. Either one's fine. Uh, another text. I have a cabin that was built in 1979 designed for summer use only. Electric baseboard heat. We typically close it down for the winter. What would I need to do to make it year-round with efficient 
heat source. Yeah, and the problem obviously is electric baseboard will be cost prohibitive if you don't have a good thermal envelope. So you need your exterior walls, your floor, and your attic spaces to be effectively insulated. Current codes are 49 for the attic space, R20 for the walls. Unless you're up north, it's 21. And then for that floor below, you need an R30. How do you do that? That's the question. What do you take apart to get into those spaces? You can retrofit there's foam products that actually can be injected into wall cavities that fill. It's called pore foam, and it fills up the cavity and expands, but not so much that it blows your drywall off the wall surface. And in my case, I think that's your best option for the wall surfaces. And then getting up into the attic access space, and again, cellulose or fiberglass blown in on top of that surface. If you really want to go thermally efficient, you're going to use electric heat, then I would go to spray foam, whatever I could because it's going to be better for that heat source. If you're using electricity for your heat source and electric furnace, there's much more efficient options today. Uh, most people, though, will try to find a way to do natural gas or liquid propane and get a yes. heat system in that way. Makes sense. Way more expensive, uh, effective than electrical. All right, let's uh, go to the phones. I think we have time. Uh, Mary is calling from uh, Minneapolis. Mary, you're on with Barry. Good morning. Hi. I have a question. Um, I have a, a 1950s walkout and um, all of a sudden, the uh, floors and the doors started squeaking, and I have no idea what what uh, you know brought that about. Except um, a storm last April um, blew a tree down from my backyard over my garage, and uh, since then, it seems like I'm having this trouble. So I just wondered, what do you do about squeaky floors and doors at this time? I don't think that the tree has much to do with the squeaking floors. Uh, normally, we've got moisture change taking place in the building, and that's causing expansion contraction. Three to five percent between summer to winter is normal movement in wood volume. And as that happens, we end up getting these micro gaps and cracks. Uh, I've recommended for years a talcum powder treatment on a wood floor when we simply take baby powder, sprinkle it on the floor, get a big base woofer and vibrate that floor, a Sousa march, a rap music, enough boom, 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 boom on the floor. And it'll actually get down in those gaps of the wood floor. And it, it works like a dry lubricant and it knocks out volume of the squeak. Now, it's not going to be a long-term solution, but it's enough to get the uh, irritating noise away. Uh, but as the house ages and lumber moves around, you're going to be getting an increasing amount of squeaking in the floor over time. It's just the nature of the beast of a wood floor. Uh, what's going on with the door? If that's squeaking, there's probably some some seasonal humidity change taking place. My guess is that in the house, what we're, what we're seeing is a different level of moisture. And if you have a humidifier in that house, the humidification pad might be bad and needs to be replaced. We're not just getting the same level of humidity that we normally would get inside that space. It makes me think that you've got an extremely dry or a, a more dry environment this winter than you've had in the past. That'd be my bet about what's going on here. Okay. Got about a minute, minute and a half to go, Barry. Here's a text that says, how can I repair a wall where wallpaper was removed and part of the wallboard came off? Well, if the wallpaper is not going back on, we're, we're clean. Now we're simply going to put a, a blocking piece. I take a piece of plywood that's going to fit uh, about two-thirds of the width of the opening and about uh, three inches longer than the height of the opening. I cut it and I put a screw into that piece. I slide it up behind the opening and pull it in place, put a little bit of glue on that, and then run drywall screws over the face. Now I've got a backing piece in place. And then I cut a piece of drywall to fit the hole. Once I do that, I do a three-coat drywall process, sand it all out, and I paint, and we're done. All right. Uh, Texter uh, wants you to recommend, if you could, some type of gauge 
for the humidity level in a house? Well, they're pretty. Uh, there are some cheap ones that's yeah. available at the big box stores. The problem is, is I've tested those against commercial units that the pros use. They're not that close. So, uh, you know, a sling hygrometer is the way to actually test humidity inside a space. Most people aren't going to go ahead and do that. But a humidity device, a more expensive one is going to be better off to know for sure what you've got. More, uh, the more sophisticated equipment that runs your HVAC equipment will be able to test humidity and have a pretty accurate reading. That's your best option, having equipment that knows what the moisture levels are. Best Very choice. happy New Year to you and all to your you family. To you too, Danny. Thank, thanks for all the what good work. What a pleasure work. to be here with you. Well, I hope to. Well, it's always my pleasure. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get you back here again. I hope so. Real soon. soon. All right. Very stressful. We'll be back with more home improvement uh, next Saturday in the 9 o'clock hour. Here on News Talk 830 WCCO 